1: I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping, you don't have to leave the house, and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennahoverbaugh.com and click on Deals. Here we are, Nate. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be a guest with you.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. I'm so glad we connected over, you know, online through Instagram. And I really love the, the things that you're doing on your side. And so I thought it'd be important to bring you over and and we can kind of talk about oce i like the style that you have and i think we have some pretty similar ideas and so yeah yeah
1: i think it'll be great well i i know i said that i'm excited to be your guest so just for those of you who are out there listening i think we're just winging this right now we're just straight up having fun and, and gonna riff a little bit so we're gonna it's also gonna be available on my podcast it'll be available on nate's youtube and so We're just going to wing it. So I'm either a guest on Nate's YouTube or he's a guest on my podcast episode. We don't really know, but we'll just have to, we're just going to have fun, you guys. So yeah, so I reached out to Nate. uh, Basically, I love his work and the OCD community on Instagram and on social media is just so strong and so passionate and so connected. And so I really wanted to reach out to just further the conversation specifically about, how Nate and I have both had some health struggles, some legitimate kind of uncertainties that have come up in our life. Um, I felt something just kind of overlapped with his experience and we talked about it, made a really great idea for an episode for you guys. And I think that this will bust some myths about therapists, about how we experience anxiety, how we kind of live, you know, according to other concepts that we try to teach all of you in therapy sessions and Nate was down for it. So Nate, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times when we're talking with with clients, we're talking about the what ifs. And this is something that we thought, you know, what if the what if actually happens? And so if it actually happens, how do you deal with it and how you know, how are you supposed to respond? You know, because whenever we're saying phrases like, you know, maybe, maybe not, we're not saying it's not going to happen. We're actually saying we're not going to figure it out and we're staying uncertain about it on purpose. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what if it happens? And uh, that's why I thought this was important for us to talk about, because you've had some experiences and I've had some experiences of things that have really happened and to kind of guide through what do you do with that anxiety and how do you respond to it? And so I'm I'm super excited uh, to talk about this stuff. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, I think first, uh, in case anyone doesn't know me, which I'm sure are plenty, um, so I'll give a little intro first, and then I'll pass it back to you if you want. So my name is Jenna Overbaugh. Um, I'm over on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh. I also am the host of the podcast, All the Hard Things. I've been working with people who have OCD and anxiety for 10 or 12 years. Um, It's really all I've done professionally. I was laughing with one of my clients earlier. They asked me something about blood pressure, and I was like, unless you ask me anything about OCD and anxiety, my brain is just on dumb. Like I just, I don't know. I've always loved working with this population. Um, so yeah, it's it's what I knew that I wanted to do from a very, very early age. And so, yeah, but with that said, part of my story is that I'm also an anxious person. Like I think a lot of times the myth is that anxiety therapists or OCD therapists kind of don't have that experience and that they should be kind of immune to it or armored against it. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Nate, do you want to introduce yourself quick for yeah. who maybe from my group don't know you as well?
0: For sure. Yeah. So Nathan Peterson, I have a private practice in Texas and I've been working with OCD since 2013. Um, I love it because the treatment is so pretty structured. Like this is what you do. And when you do it, you tend to get better, which is really cool that a lot of the other therapies that I worked with, it was like, let's just kind of talk about it and maybe you'll feel good at the end and then you'll come back and it'll be the same and then you'll feel good and it'll be the same. But this is more like you actually retrain the brain and I love the OCD community and the therapists that you know are in it. And so this is why I do what I do and you know, started creating these, these videos obviously that, that you're watching um, because I, I want more information out there about OCD and how people can get help. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think your resources are awesome. I work at NoCD, which is a mobile therapy platform. Um, and so lots of great resources here. And maybe we can even share like where to find some of those things at the end of the episode. But um, so yeah, I think we do You want to, we can dive in and maybe talk about some of the really big anxious moments Um, the two that I'm thinking of are, are health related kind of situations that have happened somewhat recently, um, that prompted this podcast in the first place or the episode in the first place. So, um, about last year, right when the pandemic hits which was 2020, um, in March, I randomly had two seizures and I never, I don't have a family history of seizures. I'm a generally very healthy person. I work out five, six days a week, eat very healthy, try to drink a ton of water, um nothing ever kind of came about as a concern and so it was it was completely random um no idea why we had these seizures um went to the hospital did every test that you could possibly imagine and there were no identifiable reasons as to why i had this happen and in a way that was really great right like the ekg was clear the cat scans were clear but in a way it was like this could happen again like we don't know why this happened. There was no explanation for it. And it was terrifying. I was in the hospital for two or three days. Um, you know, didn't feel obviously great at all. And it was really scary to know that that could happen when I'm driving, that that could happen, you know, mid-session that could happen when I'm alone with my toddler, um, could happen really anytime that we just didn't know anything about it. And so after that, for the next year, I'd say, and even still now a little bit, I kind of was walking around, like, I don't, I've had a seizure now. Like this literally could happen any time. And I remember thinking like, this is exactly what I've been talking to all of my clients about for the last 10 years, like (laughs) this sitting with uncertainty and sitting with that anxiety and having all these questions, but not being able or wanting to put the effort into really answering them. Um, And so I found myself really having the urge to do things like anytime I would feel dizzy, I would want to like stop everything and just get it together and make sure that I was protected. Um, Anytime that I was going to be alone with my toddler, I really wanted to like have my phone nearby in case I needed to like call someone right away. Um, And some of that felt normal, but then other parts of it felt abnormal Um, Like my doctor, not knowing obviously the background or OCD or anything like that, she suggested that I get a blood pressure monitor and that I carry it with me everywhere and that I constantly check my blood pressure. And I was like, that might work for someone, but like, you have no idea. Like, I, I don't want this to become compulsive. Right. So I didn't want it to be this thing where I kept it with me all the time. And I was constantly checking it because I knew that that would be what it could end up being. Um, And so, yeah, so I walked around for the next year, nothing really happened, continued to try to just day in and day out, engage in my values, continue to, you know, resist little safety behaviors here and there. Um, And then it happened again in March, this March. Um, Again, like totally unprompted, no explanation for it. Uh, Went to the hospital, still all the tests came back completely fine, which again, on one end is great, on another end is still really, really scary. I remember I went to supervision the next day and Dr. McGrath was like, Jenna, I heard you had a seizure yesterday. How do you feel about the fact that you could have a seizure at any time? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much what it is. Right. And so I think it really tested me like putting those, putting everything that we talk about Nate into practice of really, truly sitting with that uncertainty and continuing to engage in my values regardless. Like I I can, I value having alone time with my family. I value having um, alone time just with my toddler and not having my husband around all the time. I value not being glued to my phone or some emergency device. I value driving, even though that was really scary for me. They didn't take away my license. I don't know why or how, but they didn't. Hmm. Um, Of course, that was another thought of mine, like maybe, maybe I should not drive. Right. I value my independence. I value being able to go to the grocery store. So I continue to drive and it just really made me realize the intensity of everything that is that we tell our members or tell our clients day in and day out as OCD therapists and the importance of really, truly like how much am I willing to put my world on a tilt and negotiate my values? Like I, I, it just always comes back to values for me, which have since that experience become really integral in how I approach therapy with my members or my clients. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, still sitting with uncertainty all the time, but still constantly having to like, make sure that I'm not giving into that. Make sure that I'm not making that situation any worse than it already is. And that I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to be in the driver's seat as far as that situation goes. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you can relate Nate and Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more of your story for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about my story and then I think it'd be great for us to talk about what we're doing with the uncertainty that we're living in. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, recently back in November last year, I think it's November, all of a sudden, you know, I kind of woke up and literally my heart was just racing, 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 and it wouldn't stop. And I was just literally sitting. And my heart would go up to 170. And the only reason I knew was because you know, my watch told me. And <laughs> Nice. And you know, like I, I work out every day. I drink water. I'm um, pretty healthy guy. And so I was like, you know, maybe it's just kind of a phase, and then I'll just kind of wait it out. And and then I realized like it kind of starts feeling like it's fluttering a little bit, uh, almost like shaking. And I was kind of t- I was telling my spouse like. Huh, this is kind of strange. You think I should do anything about it? And she's like, Yeah, just wait it out. Um, and then it's just the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And then I was like, Man, I, didn't, like, I can't work out. I have no energy. I can barely, like, I'm sitting through my sessions and I can feel my heart shaking and I'm trying not to respond. Like, it was, it was pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I waited it out for probably a few weeks, <laughs> which I'm like, you know, I guess living with that uncertainty because I'm not going to run to the doctor just yet because I don't know.
1: You don't Um, know, yeah.
0: The only sign that I had was my heart was racing and there's nothing else and you know, okay. And so, but the indication that, you know, I should probably go get this checked out is that my watch uh, sent me an alert and said, hey, you are actually in AFib, uh, atrial fibrillation. And so I went in, they got me in the next day, did an EKG on me and and the nurse while she was there she went out to the hallway and she's talking to the doctors and she's like you know what? I've never seen these results before she's like what is this and I hear her like super loud I'm like what is she talking about that's and not anxiety like,
1: provoking cl- at all
0: yeah like close <laughs> the door or something and you know she comes back in she's like you're in the right place because your heart you know you can see these little parts where your heart's dipping and um, usually what this means is that you have a supraventricular tachycardia, which is a huge, I think I said that right, SVT, uh, which essentially just means that you're, you know, different parts of your heart are firing in different rates. And so it feels like it's shaking because this part is beating this way and this part's beating this way. And it essentially doesn't get better unless you take medication, which then you take medication the rest of your life. Um, and then you'll have to keep raising that. Or you can get a surgery or an ablation. And so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do the ablation because I, you know, I think I'd rather do that because it seems like a pretty good, pretty good option. Um, but you know, through, you know, eventually got the ablation and the doctor was like, you know what? You know, while we were in there, your your heart went into AFib a few different times, and that's just something that's not normal. We don't see that. I'm like, well, that's great. Like that's all he told me. More uncertainty. Yeah. And and so he kind of from there, you know, s- still have some symptoms. Um, actually, I have a heart monitor on my chest right now that I've been wearing for the past uh, week or so that constantly checks to make sure everything's still OK. Um, and I've got to you know, get on the phone and say, hey, whenever I have a symptom. Um, but there's still uncertainty because I feel stuff when my doctor's like, eh, I think you're good. But I think that is the uncertainty that we live with is someone has one opinion and we have another, and, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, it's kind of the experiences that we're in. And so I guess with that uncertainty, you know, from my experience and and yours, Jenna, uh, you know, maybe we talk about what, what we're doing with this, you know, the anxiety that is brought with this, that is, can be really felt. There's immediate danger. Um, But what part of it is maybe not that we're feeling right. Um, That's kind of the, that's kind of what goes through my brain when I'm feeling anxious, at least through this is like, wait a second. I'm not in immediate danger right now. Everything I'm feeling anxious about is actually in my head right now. I don't see anything happening. My heart's actually not beating fast. It's just my brain going. And so learning to respond differently to that.
1: Yeah, I have a really good example of that. And I'm so glad that you're okay. And I can relate so much just to like the day-to-day, just sitting with the uncertainty is the best way to say it. So I know the only kind of... um, similarity among all of these three instances of when I had these seizures was that my heart actually was too low. Like my heart rate was actually really low. So similar to your watch, (laughs) um, my watch would, um, alert me that my heart rate would fall below like 25 or 30 for 10 minutes or more at night. And, um, they'd never really, the doctors never really were worried about that until the third time it happened because I am athletic. I run marathons, half marathons. Um, I'm very active in the gym. And so they just thought that I, it was an, I'm, I have an active strong heart. Um, but so now anytime that I'm in the gym and then I'm working out and my heart rate is obviously high because we're doing, you know, cardiovascular activity or some type of weightlifting, I will still get dizzy every once in a while. I will still feel symptoms that put me back in that seizure-like state that make me feel like it could be happening again. Um, so right before my seizures happened, I did feel very dizzy. I felt tightness in my body. Um, I felt like hot, hot, hot. I was sweating so bad, which you kind of feel all those things when you're working out. <laughs> like you're hot, you're tight in your in your body. Um, you know, you're a little bit dizzy at times. And so I know when I'm, when I feel that way in the gym, my immediate safety reaction, like my, my survival part of my brain is like, stop, stop, stop. You need to go and go like, go get someone, go get someone, go call your husband. But I know logically my doctors told me that this only happens or should only happen again. So much is still uncertain. I don't know hundred percent that this happens when my heart rate is really low. My heart rate is really high in these situations. So I can either, you know, make my world smaller and smaller and leave the gym. Every time I feel a small tingling of dizziness or a small tingling in my body or a little bit of tightness, and I can continue to sacrifice my value, which is being fit and having this time for myself, or I can choose to sit with that uncertainty in spite of my values, continue to stay here. Accepting the logical part that I do know to be true, but is still not certain, and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep working out. And so so far, that's been my method. And you know, nothing bad has happened. It, not to say that it won't. It it could happen tomorrow. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting with that uncertainty. But it comes down to a constant and consistent and deliberate choosing of what am I? How willing am I to make my world smaller and smaller because of this? Mm-hmm. And what are my values? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can relate to that as well yeah
0: well and the first thought that comes to my head which I think a lot of people do think about and they actually might ask is but but what if you like how do you know though mm-hmm. like what if you're working out and you're actually damaging something or you're causing it to be worse you know why would you take that risk and I think that is that's the crux that keeps people mm-hmm. stuck with this anxiety it, it, or, it's true. And like
1: what if it happened what if it does happen tomorrow and the reality is so the interesting thing after I had my third seizure, I was so much more chill about it than I was the first time that I had it. Like I, it was not that I was chill about it, but I was the first two times I took the ambulance. Cause I was, I obviously didn't know the third time I didn't even take the ambulance to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I tried to wait because the ambulance came and they said my vitals were okay. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll just try to sit it out here see what happens. And then I eventually, I did need to go to the hospital because I didn't feel any better. Um, but I did feel less anxious about it. I felt like I could handle it more. And now having been through it three times now, like my anxiety about it happening again is so much less because I feel so much more capable of dealing with it. Like mm-hmm. there, it's kind of just this unexplainable and maybe that's inhibitory learning slash habituation that occurs with exposure, but it's this, just somehow I I feel more capable. Like I just, I don't feel as scared about it as I did the first time that it happened because Mm -hmm. I've been through it three times already.
0: Yeah. Well, that, I love that you brought that up because it's so important because the only reason you knew that third time is because you experienced it. Mm -hmm. And, but the difference is, you know, the first two times, if you responded differently than maybe you did, so you were very hyper aware and you didn't exercise and you didn't do all these, you, know, you didn't continue living life, then maybe that third time I'd say, oh, here it is again. And, yeah. and you wouldn't have learned what you probably needed to actually learn. Yeah. That, you know, maybe, maybe what you're experiencing, um, you know, you're trusting in the doctors and staying with that uncertainty essentially.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I think health anxiety, and I'm sure you can relate to this aspect too. Like Our anxiety can make those symptoms so much worse and complicate things so much more. Um, There was a stomach bug that was going around my son's daycare the other day. And I was terrified that he Mm -hmm. was gonna get it. And then like, what if that got me sick? What if that like induced a seizure? And I had immediately all these urges, right? Like I wanna like confess this to my husband and see what his thoughts are about it. And see like, I wanna ask this other family if their kid is getting sick too. And I wanna keep Eli home from school. And then I was like, wait, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. Like my mm-hmm. job right now is to not grow this, this issue. Like if he gets it, he gets it. We'll try to deal with it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but like, I'm not going to contribute to this already difficult and uncertain situation.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah. yeah I, I love that because I, it reminds me something I always say is when there's a problem, we'll solve it. Yes. And so if you got the stomach bug, you'd solve it, but trying to problem solve something that isn't a problem yet is is going down the road of anxiety, and it doesn't work. It doesn't prevent anything from from not happening just because we feel anxious.
1: yeah,
0: and it makes it easier the next time when when we don't yeah. give in to those compulsions for sure,
1: yeah. So how do you deal with it? I'm sure there's some overlap, but like on a day to day, how do you kind of cope with all of that stuff?
0: Yeah, you know, I think living with uncertainty for, you know, working with OCD for so long, it's so ingrained that I'm so used to saying maybe, maybe not, sure, whatever, cool, I hope it happens, I don't know, whatever, just to take the value away. So that that yeah. is like my natural reaction, and so I think cool. I think that is something that you know. When people are, are who have OCD and anxiety, I say like live your lifestyle of you know exposure or with uncertainty, not just these teeny moments that come up. It's really your lifestyle. So everything, like, will there be? Will I get in a car crash today? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Like, it could be any thought that with with the anxiety with my health stuff. Really, I felt anxious because I didn't know some of the answers. Um, but I chose to not really research it because I knew researching actually would make it worse for me specifically. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I try to hone in with others is like, if you know the compulsions, you know, you look at your motivation, am I researching to know because I'm just curious or am I researching because I have this desire, this big, strong urge I have to know right now. And if I don't know something bad's gonna happen and I'm gonna miss something and it's gonna be horrible. And if that's the case, then I am for sure not researching Mm -hmm. and it seems risky, but living this lifestyle of kind of looking at that motivation, you know, which is what I do. um, I don't feel much anxiety with it. I felt little moments of anxiety because I didn't know an answer or, you know, my heart starts fluttering again. And I'm like, oh my God, the surgery, I shouldn't, this shouldn't happen. Um, It's this frustration, but it's saying, you know, my next appointment's in four months. I'm not doing anything for four months. I'll go in and I'll talk about my symptoms. And if he says there's a problem, there's a problem. And if not, then there's not. And I'm kind of just trusting in the process. Yeah. And I could miss something. I really could. But I'm willing to take that risk. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety, I've just kind of committed to that. I'm willing to take it, trust in the doctors, uh, may or may not be okay. But I'm going to continue living life and exercising now that I because I can do it and, you know, move forward. And that's, that's at least how I've dealt with some of that anxiety and, and uncertainty is don't give in to the compulsion and trust in the process.
1: Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is, and this is relevant, I think to anyone out there listening with OCD and definitely for both of our situations is that these bad things that we're afraid of could happen regardless of what we do, right? Like regardless of how much I excuse myself from the gym, regardless of how close I keep my phone and that safety device, regardless of how often you call your doctor or research or whatever, these bad things me having a seizure you having something wrong with your heart like that those things could still happen regardless of how many times we engage in these safety seeking behaviors rituals whatever you want to call them it could still happen and so it's just the, these, these urges that make us feel that somehow we're, if we do these compulsions or we do these safety seeking behaviors, that somehow we're safe from that bad thing happening. And really we're not <laughs> like, mm-hmm. again, I could live my life according to all of my anxieties, wishes, you know, never go to the gym, always, you know, take my time when I'm like sit when I go from sitting to standing I could, you know, never let my son go to daycare ever again in case he gets a stomach bug or, you know, I could do all those things and we could, I could still have a seizure. Mm -hmm. So it's like, am I really willing to do that? Like, am I really willing to negotiate everything in my life and make my problems worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the small amount of control that I actually have? Like my, Mm -hmm. I think so often our anxiety and our OCD, you know, OCD can make you feel like you have so much control over the situation when really you, we don't like Mm -hmm. a lot of these things are not within our control. And if they are, like you said, Nate, we'll deal with them when they get there.
0: Yeah. I love that. Uh, you, you mentioned something earlier, which is, you know, uh, with your, I'm trying to think of what you said. I just totally lost it. Um, Man, that was a good one. I'll Cause talk, I had it right in my head. I'll,
1: I'll keep talking and you can remember. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. Just it really does come down to just, I think kind of living that lifestyle. Right. And we talk to our clients about that all the time. Like you can't just come to a session and do these exposures. You have to live the lifestyle. And I think you and I are kind of demonstrating that, but it's, I mean, it's not perfect. I 100% will admit that there are times when, um, I don't know. We're like, before I got the COVID vaccine, I was terrified. I was terrified. Like I pretty much thought that I was going to like walk in and and like, I'm going to experience these symptoms and it's going to be absolutely terrible. And what if I have a seizure? I, I mean, it was like walking into a 10 out of a 10 type of exposure for me. Mm. I still did it, but you can be sure that I like confessed those feelings a lot to my husband. Like I'm so anxious. I don't want to get this, but I know I want to get this. Um, So it's not a perfect process. I mean, you know, no one out there is supposed to be perfect at resisting their safety behaviors. It's not supposed to be a perfect process. It's just a matter of, you know, I think a lot of the time, like our behaviors, I, I tell my members and my clients, everything that we do is either a vote in favor of OCD and anxiety, or it's a vote in favor of our values in our life, getting back on track. And, you know, it's not that we have to have all of the votes in terms of our favors and no votes for the OCD and anxiety. I think that's unrealistic, but, you know, as long as the majority of those votes are in favor of your values, I think we're on the right track. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I love that. If you take your value system, you think about, you know, the top maybe two or three that you really care about, whether it's family or religion or exercise, health, that whenever we're feeling anxious and we're trying to protect whatever it is, I, I often find with people that, they're not protecting really their, they're protecting their anxiety, at least they think they are. And the values, if they focused on that, like my time, my value is family, like that is the top. And so I'm spending a lot of time, not with my family, doing all of these different behaviors, that if I focus more on my values, it's I am spending time with my family, and I'm willing to risk that if I don't do these safety behaviors, that something may or may not happen. But my brain's going to learn something wonderful. If nothing happens, That I didn't do any safety behaviors and nothing happened Mm -hmm. because the only thing it knows now is that you did the safety behavior and it says, woohoo, it worked. Nothing happened because you did all these things. And it's a complete lie, but it doesn't know any different because you didn't give it the opportunity to kind of learn. And, and so I love that, like focus on your value system, what really matters Mm -hmm. and, we only focus on anxiety when there's an immediate threat that we can see. That's what it's designed for. Mm-hmm. And, and everything else, we're trying to react and respond differently. Like, yeah, cool. I don't know. We'll see. Might happen. And it takes a lot of practice. And sometimes we don't actually have to believe it 100%. That's not the point. The idea is like, what, can, what signal can I send back to my brain to show them that maybe this doesn't have as much value as you're telling me it does right now? And yeah. I'm willing to just deal with the problem when it comes, if it yeah. does.
1: You're reminding me of, there was an Instagram post before this episode, we talked about like social media and before the pandemic and how since the pandemic, there's been like an uptick in the OCD community on Instagram, which I love that that has happened, but there was a really awesome Instagram post that I saw. Um, and it was about how, like essentially all of our core fears, whether it's like heart not working having a seizure harm intrusive thoughts you know sexual orientation thoughts whatever like regardless of where the fear starts um it was this concept that they all end up at this universally felt fear that somehow we're not going to be able to cope with it that somehow we're not going to be able to handle it that somehow like it's we just won't be able to handle it like if i had a seizure i just won't be able to handle that if i have Mm epilepsy. I just won't be able to handle that. If I, if my heart stops working, like I just won't be able to handle that. And the, it was cool because it was like, well, that's ridiculous knowing that we're here and we have literally no evidence to suggest Mm -hmm. that we can't handle anything. (laughs) Like we're Mm -hmm. here, we've handled everything that life has thrown at us. And so I can relate to that just even in my own experience. Like I do feel like if I If I did feel uncomfortable physically, like I just wouldn't be able to handle it. That would be so uncomfortable. I wouldn't be able to handle that. And like, I've, I've handled it three times. Like, Mm -hmm. of course I could handle it. It would be awful. And of course I would never want that to happen again, but time will pass. I will get through it. We'll, we'll address that when it comes, if it comes.
0: Right. Right. It's, I, I think I saw that same post as well, that it's like, we. We've already, been, we've already done everything. We've already solved every problem that's come our way. We've, we're here right now. We're living life in the specific moment. So what, where is the evidence to say that we can't do it? And when, yeah, when we think about that, like, why is the future going to be so different than what we've learned in the past? And, and so that's why we, we learn to respond differently to these, to these thoughts and these fears. Um, And I know as, you know, us being therapists, it's really easy to say, like, you know, just move forward and don't put much value to it. And a lot of people at least, you know, will comment to me or they'll send a message after I post something. They're like, I know you talked about it, but like, how do you do it? Right. You know, because they're like, that's great. I can say maybe, maybe not, but like, how do I do it? And I think that's where, you know, actually getting a good therapist, you know, for exposure and response prevention like that is like a really really good therapy for somebody to use Um, whether it's OCD or anxiety health anxiety like it's that is something that's going to retrain your brain and so just talking about it and trying to work through it and even say like I've worked through every problem and this is OCD it's just my anxiety talking like that isn't enough the brain doesn't see that because it we'll start doubting those again. And mm-hmm. so it's actually I can say the phrases but I also need to retrain my brain in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's either through, you know, seeing a therapist specifically or it's going to uh, I'd say IOCDF, you know, find a really good therapist, iocdf.org, um, or No OCD, you know, what is the yeah. website there?
1: Yeah, so that's for No CD. So we're available in all 50 states plus the United Kingdom plus, oh my gosh, where else? Australia. Um, And we're looking into other international places too. So that's, uh, you can find ERP specialists there. That's at www.treatmyocd.com. And I'm there. So ask for me, you might be able to work with Mm me. Um, It's really great. Um, And I would totally echo like I'm so glad you asked that or or addressed that, Nate, because I too, I was thinking of people who are listening and I'm like, they're going to be wondering like, but how do you just have that attitude? (laughs) Like, How do you just do that? And I, I want to know your thoughts on this too. Like I think the attitude doesn't just, the attitude doesn't just come right. Like it comes first from the behaviors, right? Like it comes from that decision to not walk off the gym floor. It comes from that decision to not sit there and continue to monitor your fluttering heart. It comes from that decision to not like, you know, send an emergency text message or like my chart pro health, whatever your hospital is message to your doctor about, Mm -hmm. I had this symptom. What does it mean? Can I get you in sooner? Um, It comes from a lot of like it's very behavioral too um and i think that as you continue if you're listening out there continue to dedicate yourself to doing the hard things to you know not just doing the hard things intentionally and willingly purposefully putting yourself in these situations of exposures that are hard and difficult that you don't want to do and also resisting those safety behaviors that you're used to doing afterwards like resisting googling resisting Reassurance seeking from a doctor, whatever it is that you're struggling with, like that's what's necessary in order for you to get better, and that's what exposure and response prevention is all about. So, so yeah, yeah. lots of good I, stuff.
0: I found it doesn't work if somebody chooses to only use it in this aspect of their life. I'm only yeah. going to do it when it comes to my kids or with this, but everything else, I'm going to you know get a lot of certainty with. It yeah. really is that lifestyle. Anything that comes your way, a what-if question, we already know the answer to any what-if, and the answer is maybe, maybe not, yeah, or never know for sure. Like There might be a time where you find that answer, but it's not going to be in this specific moment,
1: and Mm -hmm. thinking
0: about it isn't going to get you that answer because we don't have a time machine to go forward and see what's actually going to happen, and so it's dedicating every aspect and looking at every motivation, why am I doing this right now? Why am I thinking this right now? It's because I'm trying to gain an answer, trying to feel some relief from anxiety. If so, then I'm already going down the wrong path. If it's just because I'm curious and I like to think about this, and like, sweet, then I'll think about it. But I don't find it that way very often because we don't care to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. When there's a strong urge mixed with anxiety, we already know something something's happening, and learning to respond differently to it and commit. To it every single time that I'm not figuring out is this new situation one of those moments where I can use exposures with or not? It's actually kind of just saying I'm 100% using that mm-hmm. just because, even if I'm wrong.
1: Just because and, it's the way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about health symptoms just because that's kind of what brought us together, but ERP works the same regardless of what the subtype is, right? So, you know, ERP, all of the skills that we're talking about here, all the concepts that we're talking about are applicable regardless of where the source of anxiety is coming from. And yeah, really important. I think one thing that I tell my clients related to like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll work on the health stuff, but I'm not, I'm not like the stakes are too high with my kids. I'm not going there. Mm. I tell them you can't put out half a fire. Like when you try to put out half a fire, it eventually kind of comes back with a vengeance. It really does come down to that whole lifestyle. It's a new lifestyle, right? Like it's a new way of managing your, it's a new relationship that you're going to have with anxiety and about the way that you would typically deal with it. So I think that it's Mm -hmm. literally the coolest thing ever. And I know you feel the same way. (laughs) For
0: sure. Yeah. Anxiety is not the enemy. It's it's just going to be part of our life. And we're, we actually get the choice of how we're going to respond to it or not. Cause yeah. if we always see it as a bad thing, then we're going to always see it as a bad thing. And it's easy to say, but I know it's, it takes practice to kind of get into that mindset. Yeah. And so,
1: and it's totally possible, right? Like the word choice I know can be a really great thing and it can be like really touchy for some people, but Nate, you and I both believe that all those individuals out there listening, you know, they have a choice in whether they give in to these behaviors, whether they don't. Um, And so, yeah, so I'm sure you have tons of more resources on your page and on your website um, about how they can go about finding more resources, how to like identify that ability to make choices, um, get help if they need it. Um, I know I have mine too. I'm over at jenna.overbaugh on Instagram. Like I said, my podcast is all the hard things. Um, And again, at NoCD, mobile therapy platform, www.treatmyocd.com. And then Nate, if you wanna plug yours really quick for my audience.
0: I I have a kind of a self-directed program for OCD, but it's, it's educational. So it takes you through your OCD, how to do exposures and how to maintain progress essentially. And I was counting through it, I have 41 videos in there. And I didn't even realize how I did that, but 41 videos, um, that website is- I think
1: you have free ones too, like little freebies that you have, Mm -hmm. cool.
0: Yeah, so you can kind of go through, I think it's like six different modules on there that are just, yeah, you can kind of preview it, see if it's something you want. You know, it's not necessarily gonna replace a therapist or anything like that, but more of like those people who don't have access to a therapist who like, I want to know the skills and maybe practice it on my, my own if I choose. Um, but that website is www.ocdandanxietyonline.com, And so we'll definitely put the links in here as well so you guys can find those. Um,
1: cool. Nate, yeah. I know this is like, we're going to duo this and we're going to have this in two separate places, but let's say that someone's listening from my podcast. I always ask people one question. Can I ask you?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: You're like, I don't know. I don't know what you're going (laughs) to ask me. I always ask people anytime I have a guest on, why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things? Because my inspiration for the name of the podcast was, as you can imagine, I work with people sometimes, and I'm sure you have before where they're like, why would I intentionally do this? (laughs) Like, Why would I go out of my way to be uncomfortable if I had the choice not to be uncomfortable? And that like one day just really rubbed up a fire in me. And I was like, you just have to do all the hard things. You just have to, you just have to. So Uh I have made that like at the end of every episode, I ask my guests that question because I really love to hear their responses. So as a fellow ERP lover and therapist, why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things?
0: Mm, That's a good question. So, well, at least for me, I think easy things are doing the compulsion. It's so much easier to do the compulsion, to find that relief, to use that reassurance, to wash your hands. Uh, doing the hard things means you're choosing to not do that feel anxious on purpose um, respond differently to it like those are the hard things that that people go through and I always commend those who do that because it's so much harder than just doing the compulsion and I know it gets easier but the moment it's hard there's anything in our life if we don't do that hard thing whatever it is you know, like my child's learning to ride a bike. Like if they fell down and decided, nope, it's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Like how are they ever going to ride a bike? They didn't try again. The, it's easy to give up. It's easy to not do it. Um, it's hard to do it. But, you know, not, not this hopeless feeling like this treatment is just out of control and it's going to be so hard. It's like, it's, it's, it can be in a good, really manageable spot if you, if you make it that way. so doing hard things, I think is a really good motto for you. That's great.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And maybe maybe we'll do it again.
1: For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com.